Welcome, guys, once again to the MMOs.com podcast. Altai here, but episode 112, joined this week by the one, the only... Omer. And I like I like your intro this week. It was very, like, radio host professional. This you did how, the voice. This is how I'm going to talk from now on. This is me. This is my life. That's you. <laughs> All right. Anyway. This it's like week, the phone voice, you know? <laughs> Let's see how long I can keep this going. All right. Well, we have a new weekly raid, but before we get to that, we must talk about last week's. And this was an interesting one. Very controversial weekly raids we've been having the past few weeks, which mm-hmm. is good, which is good. It means people are commenting. Last week's was, would you play a mobile MMORPG? And, you know, you'd think that's a pretty uncontroversial thing. It's either a yes, no, maybe talk about it. Like, I don't like. And some people had a good answers. They said things like, it drains the battery too fast, so it's not ready yet. But some people were just... We're just, you know, outraged at the thought of, like, mobile being real games, you know? Uh, so I found that pretty funny. Uh, there's a lot of people who are just, like, vehemently against uh, mobile. Uh, I think my favorite comment was from Easy Machiavelli. He's a uh, regular on our Discord. Mobile is fucking garbage. GTFO with that shit, boy! <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how much of that sentiment was echoed because we wanted to ask him the question like, what would it take to make you play mobile games? Because let's be real, mobile MMORPGs are growing, mobile gaming is growing. So obviously, I don't like the current crop of mobile games out there now. It's not like my main form of you know gaming at all. And I wanted to see what, what it would take. But most people just basically against it. Like, there's no chance they're going to play. So I think a lot of people, especially older people, probably our age, are kind of locked in this concept of PC gaming only PC, maybe console, but like no mobile. Yeah, and, and a lot of people in the comments echoed uh, a misconception I actually talked about last week, and that's their idea of mobile gaming is what they experienced like five years ago when they played mobile gaming, right? So like five years ago, what was big on mobile, right? It was it was Candy Crush. It was Angry Birds. And that's what these guys said, like, oh, I'm a gamer. I play Angry Birds. But I don't know if you knew this, but it's 2017. Mo- you know, Angry Birds is not big on mobile anymore. Not, you have... You have much more in-depth games coming out for mobile. So it's not the same market it was five years ago. And in five years from now, it's going to be mm-hmm. way more advanced. So, I mean, again, I still don't play mobile games that much. But I see that it's getting better and better. And and I could see a time when I would play, when they're advanced enough for me. So don't rule it out. Keep an eye on it. Be open-minded. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, we had a few people saying they're waiting for something that's going to be like made really well for mobile. And the biggest complaints were a lot of these games were uh, auto-playing, cash-grab nonsense. And I do largely agree with that sentiment for now. Hopefully they will get better, though. That's a funny comment. Someone just mentioned Minecraft. So Minecraft's like this PC game that a lot of PC game, you know, people play on PC. But it looks way worse than so many mobile games, right? So mm-hmm. actually, it has a mobile version, too, now. So the lines are blurred. That's all I know how to say. All right. With that said, let's go to this week. Sorry, enough, enough dilly-dallying. This to the future. Week, to the future. So, this week, the big launch, Albion Online. And with that, uh, I was reminiscing about MMORPG death penalties. Uh, a lot of the earlier games, you know, we kind of grew up with, EverQuest, Ultima Online, uh, RuneScape, uh, EVE Online, all these games had uh, very harsh death penalties. Basically, you drop everything you're wearing, and, you know, you, there's some process to get back to your corpse, to loot yourself. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. you could lose it all, right, to other players or whatever. Uh, and in the meantime, since then, they've gotten a lot less lax with death penalties. Like, for example, World of Warcraft, you don't lose anything besides a little bit of uh, gold to repair your stuff. And since then, you don't even have to run back to your corpse. Like, at least in WoW, you kind of had to, like, waste some time getting back to your corpse. 
Now it's even easier than that in most games. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, LB, the reason I bring this up is Albion Online kind of goes back, kind of finds a good balance, I felt. Right? So you want to go into the balance of how Albion Online does death penalty. Albion does, really, does it really well. Before I get to that, though, I do want to say, like, I do really, actually, it bothers me that a lot of modern games, whether it's you know, Blade of Soul, WoW, literally anything, like, De- Black Desert Online 2, for example, like, dying is nothing more than a minor inconvenience. And I do think a lot of those old school games, like Ultima, maybe they took the full loot thing. The full loot is clearly a bit extreme, and I don't think it appeals to everyone. But the current system, it really just makes it so you don't care if you die. It's a minor convenience. And I feel like there's no reason to play like seriously as you're playing, right? Because if death is no penalty, you have no like incentive to play perfectly or play well. You know, and, and it kind of stifles your own progression of the game and your own enjoyment of the game too. Because if I can just play basically with one hand in my pants and just like one one hand everything and don't give a shit. Like if I die, who cares, right? It, it doesn't matter. So it makes me less involved like invest in the actual game. So the way Albion does it, I thought was really, really smart. Albion, we've mentioned it before, is actually a full loot MMORPG. However, it's a good compromise between full loot and like the, the casual systems we've seen because each zone has one of four ratings. Uh, you start in beginner areas, which are green. Green or blue, I forgot, one of those. And those areas, basically, there's no PvP no matter what. You, you can't attack anyone. If you die in that area, you don't, you don't lose anything because your character gets back up after like 10 seconds. If you, and then there's these yellow areas in the game. Uh, yellow areas in the game are basically you have to flag for PvP. Basically, you turn on like PK mode, and you can start attacking. You can attack anyone you want, but anyone you kill in a yellow zone, they don't drop anything. Basically, they fall down, they get back up, right? So it's basically like a practice zone. So it's basically you lose nothing if you die in a yellow zone, or if you die in a green in a, in a blue zone, nothing is lost. It's only in red and black zones are where non-consensual PvP is actually you know devastating if you die. If you die in a in a in a red zone. You have to flag as well to attack people in red zones as well. And after you flag, you, you can attack anyone you want. You kill them, they drop all their loot. Everything they, they, and then when they res, they res in town butt naked. So it's a full loot and more PG. Uh, the difference between red and black zones is pretty interesting because the way the game balances, like, kind of balances around PvP a little bit because it wants to kind of favor uh, non-PKers as well. In a red zone, if someone is flagged for PvP and they're attacking somebody not flagged, they actually their, their combat stats are weakened. Flagged players are weakened relative to unflagged players. So on a one-on-one fight, the non-flagged player has an advantage. Obviously, typically, these people walk around in gangs of like five, six, seven people. So it's, you're still going to die. And you, you can avoid that death, though, by not going into those zones or going being very careful. And, and it reintroduces that element of risk to an MMORPG, which I feel like has been lost. And it's not so devastating the way it could be in Ultima Online or, or some other games where you just lose so much because nothing you lose is really that important. And everything is replaceable. And I, I just love... That system in Albion. Oh yeah, I, I think Albion um, does it really well, and I, I always kind of think of Eve Online when I play Albion. Mm-hmm. So Albion to me is like a, a simplified medieval version of Eve Online, where you know mm-hmm. it's the the further you out you go to these uh, open PvP places, the the better the loot. So it's a high risk, high reward you know style, but there's still the option to play it like a Care Bear. You know you can be a crafter, uh, a resource gatherer in the in the simple parts, you know yellow and green areas. We risk almost nothing, so it 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 kind of does does um it kind of caters to everyone, right? Well, mm-hmm. and you can see that by the popularity. I'm playing a video here in the background, and there are thousands and thousands of players online. Every zone is packed. It's it's a really good experience. Um, people have asked me, is it worth buying right now? Right? I do think it will go free to play eventually. But if you want the experience of kind of starting fresh with the whole world, right? Because there's one server for the whole world right now. You know that's what you're paying thirty dollars for that that experience of kind of play with everyone fresh. 
Mm-hmm. I think what's really, really good about it too is the death. You know, people are saying, oh, force PvP, you know, if you want to get decent rewards. Yeah, if you want to get like tier like five, six, seven stuff, you have to get to the you know, more difficult zones, the PP zones. But you can always run away. You know, like running, if, if you're playing like really, really safe, you can almost always run away from like one or two people. It's only when a gang squad comes will you die. And even if you die, the beauty is like, you don't really lose that much. It's never like, oh, I lost all this. I spent like 20 hours getting my weapon and I lost it. All right. It, it's almost everything you do lose. You know, if you walk around tier four armor, which is like, you know, pretty cheap, it's going to be like 1K per piece of gear. That's 1K silver. And in the game, that you, that's really not that much at all. You can, you can get that in like two minutes of farming, like five minutes of farming, like 10 minutes max. If you lose, like, so you're never carrying around your, your best possible weapons unless you're with a guild or you're with your own friends because there's no reason to. And, and the, the way the gear works too is really smart because the, even the stronger gear, like the tier 4.2, 4.5, like the higher end gear in each set isn't that much better. In the lower tier stuff, it's all marginal improvements, and I think that's very much uh, inspired by Ultima Online, where you know the best weapon and the worst weapon weren't that big of a difference. And I think that's what's really good about Albion. Even if you, even though you force PvP, you don't have to go outside town. If you're a crafter, wear like the minimal gear, carry a couple pickaxes, and go mining. If somebody kills you, you know you don't lose that much. Well, before we get too far into Albion specifically, I want to stick to the topic of death penalties. So, I think Omar and I are both big fans of death penalty in Albion, the kind of the tiered system. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what you guys think. You know, do you, are you guys Care Bears? You know, do you think the current system where there's no death penalty in most games is all right? Is that fine? Uh, are we just nostalgic about something that's just crazy and, you know, not, not at all fun anymore? Um, so, yeah, I, I do want you guys to share your thoughts on death penalty, what, how a game should do it well. Um, mm-hmm. And more importantly, I'm actually really curious on your most... Uh, famous or interesting death experience in an MRPG, and I quickly want to share one of mine, and then I want to show a little a little music video to you guys. So for me, it was EverQuest. I was playing EverQuest, and in EverQuest, when you die, not only do you lose experience, but you drop everything. Everything stays on your corpse, right? And you respawn in town naked, and you have to get back to your corpse to loot yourself. So I was I was leveling a grinding with a party on this mountain pass uh, near this like volcano area. And I was being chased by monsters, and I was like, I was, you know, my heart's racing because if you died, it's a big penalty. And I accidentally walked off a cliff side ledge, and I fell into lava, and I died. Uh, and there was no way for me to get my body back by myself. One, I had to get past all the mon- you know, mobs on the mountain. But then, second, my body was literally in in lava. So, and you can't swim in the lava for more than a few seconds until you die. So there's no way I could swim to my body, loot it, and come back in the lava. So I spent all day with my brother helping me. Uh, we found a necromancer. A high-level necromancer can like summon your corpse using a coffin in the game, which costs a lot of money. So we went through this whole process. It just took a whole day to get my body back, uh, but it was memorable. Like th- you know, years later, I still remember that day basically uh, because of the hardships I went through to get my corpse back. And that's it's a good good story because you know we talked about death penalties in games, right? And it doesn't always have to be like a full loot experience. Somebody in the chat said, like, I, I prefer the EverQuest death penalties because he doesn't mind corpse runs. And, you know, even though, you know, you, you don't get full loot in EverQuest when you die, it's still an unbelievable hassle to die. And it takes, like, in BDO, wow, dying is literally nothing. It's such a minor inconvenience you don't think about it, right? even in Blind Soul, any of these newer games. But you really didn't want to die when you played EverQuest. Like, it was such a strong incentive. You know, you might not even pull enemies that like have a chance of killing you because like if you die, it was a major setback. It took so much time, hassle, you know, and you lose experience too. Like it doesn't have to be a full MMORPG that has good te- death penalties. I think a good death penalty has to really make it so dying 
Like you want to avoid death at all costs, just like in real life. And you, know, you should take the game a little seriously. And by doing that, games sort of get you more invested in them as well. It makes you, you know, learn the best, you know, get the best gear. It makes you want to play better. It makes you want to be more knowledgeable about the game because you don't want to die. As soon as you don't care about death, because it literally doesn't do anything, like you lose any kind of investment in the game. You lose interest in getting better. And I think it takes a lot away from the game. And uh, I've, I've relearned that appreciation after playing Albion again because you know we we did a, one of the runs, you know, one of basically moving goods back and forth in Albion between a, a red zone and a Corleone and Fort Sterling, and you ended up dying. I got away, but we lost half our goods, you know, in that little run. Yeah, and I think like when you said with the investment, like, for me, a good game or uh, a good anything, right? It requires emotional investment. Like a game has to make me angry. It's got to make me sad. It's got to make me happy. It's got to make me. You know, you, if you don't, if if you don't have the full range, you're not invested. You know, kind of like a movie. Like if it's making you cry or like you know sit up on your seat, you know, it's engaged with you. So for me, at least for me, I don't know. I, I doubt you know everyone's the same. But I need I need to feel lost. Like I has to I have to be angry when I lose. Otherwise, I'm not invested. Right? It just means I'm not invested. Um, so a few or, or, games can do that. And not just loss, it's, you know, the, 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 the benefit of winning too, right? When, you, when yeah. you clear a raid boss, you know, like with your guild or the, with a pickup group or something and you clear for the first time after like wiping many times, that feels very satisfying. It just, I feel like a lot of games, you know, kind of have me like relaxed in my chair, showing no emotion as I play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while I played Fortnite, for example, like, you know, I didn't have any moments in Fortnite where I was like, I jumped off my seat, I was yes, or my heart was pounding, right? It didn't really evoke emotion out of me. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I played PUBG the other day. Yeah, I had, I had that feeling. I play Albion. Yeah, I get that feeling. You know, so let's clearing some FF14, you get that feeling. And, and more RPGs, typically clearing, you know, content gives you that feeling as well. So a lot of games do have that. But it, it's good to have that feeling more often where you really do care. And that's why MOBAs, I think, are doing really well. We talked about this before, but like the fact that MOBAs can get players to rage, it brings out emotion out of them. It means they're so invested in the game that they actually care about the outcomes. Oh, yeah. And I feel like so many games, we lose that. We don't have that in so many games, especially I, yeah. MMORPGs. I, that's why I always defend raging too. You know, like raging is is a sign that the game has kind of pulled you in, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always fun. And someone in chat actually mentioned in Albion Online, um, taking all their stuff off and putting it in the bank, um, and then doing this naked run between a red zone and a safe zone. And he did mm-hmm. that because so he can trade uh, goods between the two later. But he wanted to do it naked first, so just so he gets like used to the route. Mm-hmm. So the game, you know, the game kind of forces you to invest like that where you you know you're too scared to go the first time you want to you know figure it out first and then go you want to do a dry run first um mm-hmm. so that kind of risk reward is so is so important i feel to the uh to, to immersion and i can't emphasize enough i think that i think albion's full loot system i think is pretty well thought out because again if you die you don't lose so much that it becomes like i'm gonna uninstall you know you you get jumped by some pks remember there is a penalty for killing people too because when you kill someone in a red zone you actually um, end up getting a, a penalty on your on your karma in the game or your reputation rather and if your reputation is below a thousand you can't even enter like uh you, like any of the cities besides like the one city called carleone which is like the i guess the pk hideout area so you actually like it is a big penalty to have you know, really negative uh reputation in the game because it really restricts what you can do and if you can only enter this one city you, you you're restricted on where you can buy resources and stuff so it does there is a penalty for mindless killing too and remember those pks that flag they're weaker against you in PvP. So the only place you can really have crazy, mindless PvP fun is the Black Zone, which is like a separate continent. And in those Black Zones, everyone is flagged to PvP, and there's no uh, reputation penalty for killing people there. So I think it's a pretty good balance. And you really don't feel like 
it's a big loss if you die, which I think is really, really smart of them. Uh, yeah, and that's okay. I guess we can move on to Albion now. Mm-hmm. Albion, I can tell, was done by people who know what they're doing, okay? Can we just talk about how good the launch was for an MMORPG? Yes. Oh, phenomenal. Yes, there were some cues. You know, yes, the towns were a little stuttery until they fixed that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm talking like day one of the regular uh, Founders Pack release. You know, servers didn't crash, you know, unexpected. You know, if they did, it, they went down for maintenance for a few minutes or whatever. But the server handled tens of thousands of people concurrently with 500 plus on a single map just fine. And just compare that to so many other uh, games, you know, these days that the servers crash the second that, you know, like 10 guys show up, right? It So... Mm-hmm. A plus for the team behind it. You know, they got some real people who know what they're doing working at this company. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. Like, the only little issues I've seen, they had to restart a couple times due to bugs. Some people were getting stuck on their own islands. I mean, it wasn't a perfect launch, right? Mm-hmm. But it was unbelievably smooth. Because once you got into the game, you generally had no problem. I had one issue when I was in Fort Sterling. Uh, when a map has, like, 1,300, like, I think over 1,400 players is when it becomes, like, rubber bandy and unusable, right? But luckily, the, the player base is pretty dispersed. The game did a really smart job of basically giving players, like, I think five starting towns, you said? Uh, there are five, yeah, places you can spawn. So Sorry. five spawning starting areas, which are basically islands. And each of those five islands lead to a, an area in the mainland, which I think there's three of those or five of those as well. Five, five, of, those. five of those. So there's five, like, hubs into the mainland. And you basically spawn a random one. And each of those zones is, like, 500 plus players in the mainland. You know, when we started playing, there's probably still over 200 players in those zones. So the game dispersed players pretty well. And then I think there's, there's capital cities as well. So it really distributed the player base decently. And it created you know, a minimal lag, minimal crashes. You know, the queues, there were queues in the game. Like I've had a 3,000 person queue. It was like a 30 minute queue, which really wasn't that bad. So I think they did a really smart job with their launch, where most games become unplayably laggy off, you know, very often. I guess the guys at Sandbox Interactive knew what they were doing. I think you said you watched a video of one of the programmers talking about the network and what, you know, how they built it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They put a lot of thought into how they can, you know, lower the, the load. So, for example, they talk about the low poly count of the character models, which is intentional. Um, they talk about how... Oh, by the way, this game is made on Unity. And I know Unity gets shat on a lot by, uh, by like, the hardcore PC gamers sometimes. But this shows that Unity can do, you know, work just fine. It can, it can be uh, a competent engine. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. A lot, of, a lot of these Western, you know, crowdfunded MMORPGs are actually on Unity. So other examples being Shroud of the Avatar, Crowfall, and Legends of Aria. So all of these are, you know, early access slash alpha Western developed MMORPGs coming out, you know, this year, maybe next, uh, that are on Unity. So we're going to we're gonna see what Unity can do and what they can do with Unity. I've been playing uh, Albion, I think, now. Because cool, it tells you right when you log into your character how long you've played, like, in your character creation screen. I'm at, like... It says one day, 11 hours. So it's like, what, 35 hours or so? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's only been out for like a week or so. But, you know, I, I'm playing it a decent chunk and I'm enjoying it a lot. And what, what's, fu- what's crazy, what's fun about the game, I think, is it really doesn't feel like a traditional... We played so many Korean RPGs again, not to shit on Korean RPGs. But, like, this style of game is basically Ultima Line slash RuneScape, like, in a more modern, like, envisioning of it. Like, it's some kind of variant of Ultima slash RuneScape. Definitely. And, and, it, and I, I think... You can do so much in the game besides core combat. Like crafting is actually really fun. Resource gathering is really fun because you know a lot of games have crafting systems that are really complex when they don't have to be. You know, in Albion, when you're crafting, basically like there's different tiers of gear. Every tier of gear has like its own like two resources you need to make it. You know, I don't need like I don't need twine. I don't need like three melted bricks. I don't need like an orc head. I don't need orc blood to make like one 
piece, you know, one set of boots, you know, you need like three iron bars and like two bronze bars and boom, you got like, it, it's so simple. Resources don't require a crazy amount of stuff mm-hmm. and it's really streamlined. It's, it's, it's one of the few crafting systems I can get into right away. So yeah. both resource gathering and crafting was done intuitively. And the way the progression works too is pretty intuitive. The more you craft, you know, you get better at that, that tier of crafting. The more, you, more rocks you gather, the better at rock gathering you become. The more, you know, ore you get and so forth. It's, it's really intuitive and it lets you kind of do a little bit of everything. You know, you can be a, a decent crafter, a decent like bowman, a decent, you know, sword fighter. And it's only when you specialize do you really have to like commit to something. So they, they did, yeah, not to say it's unique because it did follow in footsteps of EVE Online with the way the skill system kind of works. You know, you can, you can kind of learn a little bit of everything, but to be good at something, you have to really grind it out. So they did a lot of that really well. And what I really like is there is no cap on progression, kind of like Eve. So if you want and you know you have the time, you can just on one character you can just you know learn everything. So the the, the choice to specialize is a wise one, but it's up to you. You could just you know spend your time learning everything if you wanted to. And so I brought up something good in the chat. I mean, uh, we've been praising Albion because I do like uh, its core systems and, and its design really well. But it is worth mentioning that it is it's one is a buy to play game. And it's not perfect. They, they fucked up on a lot, of, a few things. Namely, I think the premium system. And normally, like the way the premium works in the game, I think is pretty awful. I uh, said basically, once you buy the game for thirty bucks, you know, you, you get like thirty days free premium. But it's one of those games where you actually basically need premium. You literally cannot progress in the game. You can progress, but you progress like four times faster if you pay for premium. You know, in free to play games, like maybe a lot of free to play games, they sell like double XP in the in the in the stores, right? And usually, it, it's double XP in a free to play game. You have to pay for. In Albion, you buy the game. And then you can get four times XP basically if you if you pay with the with premium. I think it's a really dumb system. If it was free to play, I'd give it a pass, even though it's still a little bit excessive. Yeah. But as a buy to play game, I don't think they should have done that at all. I mean, it's really really bad the way the premium. You need premium if you want to take the game even a little bit seriously. If you want to play casually, if you don't have premium, like I actually don't play it. You know, if you yeah. can't get premium, don't play it. Yeah, it's it's actually crazy. And the worst part, I'm someone who usually defends. Uh, you know, pay to win or whatever, because you know, it's, <laughs> hey, you know, it's, you know, play the game or don't play the game. It's your choice. You know, you don't have to complain. But the fact is, they kind of obscured how pay to win the game is, and that, that mm-hmm. that's what bothered me. So if you look at the premium features right list, it says fifty percent more fame gain. So famous experience like the uh, skill gain, fifty percent skill gain. That's fine, right? If you if you pay, you get fifty percent skill gain. That's that makes sense to me. But then they also you also get twenty learning points a day only if you pay. Those learning points let you instantly learn a skill once you're only one third uh, of the way filled. So not only do you get fifty percent faster, but you only need to get one third as many points as a free player. So what that equates to is like a massive gain, like Omar said, like four times, four hundred percent. And if they just said four hundred percent, it's excessive, but whatever, it's their game; they can charge for it. But they're hiding the fact of how pay to win the game is with those learning points. And what's crazy is the the way the learning points work is it really adds nothing to the game besides like besides hiding the fact of how pay to win it is like yep. if they just said four hundred percent XP gain and got rid of the learning point bullshit they'd be at least transparent and honest right the fact that they didn't do that makes me like a little upset at them too because it really just the only purpose of learning points and the the premium system is it really just hides how much extra XP gain you get because you gain fifty percent bonus but you only need to get one third of the way. To, you, you only get thirty percent XP to actually learn a skill, and each of the, each of those skills levels up a hundred times. So one third of the way, and it requires a tremendous amount of grind to get even one third when you're leveling up even like tier fives and tier fours. And it's 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 literally an insane amount of grind if you if you if you don't have premium. Now, yeah, yeah go ahead. Long story short, if you're gonna play this game, 
you need be ready to buy the premium. Uh, and there's two ways to pay for premium. One with you know cash, and the other is with in-game silver. Uh, just like a whole bunch of games these days do allow you to do this. Eve Online, for example, also allows this. WoW allows this. But if you want to pay for it with in-game silver, just be prepared to be kind of a like a I don't want to say hardcore, but be prepared to spend a couple days a month, you know, grinding uh, to pay for this. Right now, it's pretty cheap because, like I said, it's, everyone who's playing right now has a founders pack. Everyone who's got a founders pack has at least 30 days free premium. So there's no reason right now to buy premium in game with silver, which means the silver price of premium is pretty low right now because it's dynamic. As more people buy uh, premium with silver, the price goes up. So I suspect in the next few months, the price of premium in silver is going to go up a lot. Uh, so be prepared to grind for days trading and stuff to pay for your premium if you don't want to pay cash. Actually, what I liked a lot about Albion early on is that like it's one of the few games where resource gathering early on felt rewarding. You know, it's like if you go gather copper, you mine some copper in World of Warcraft, you you, you get some uh, like resources in most MMORPGs. It's so worthless. The only benefit of gaining like mining copper in WoW was basically just to like gain the skill, right? Because it's worth so little. But nothing you can mine will really be worth anything until you get like max tier mining. Whereas in Elpian, it was really good because you go hit some like uh, sandstone ores, which you get, you can do within the first like two hours of playing, and those bad boys sell for like fifty silver each when you're in, in Carleon, and you get like three per smack, four per smack with premium, so you actually get more resources as well with premium, by the way. So every sandstone node in the game gives you like, uh, let me do some math, like seven hundred silver, and you only need to have about like, you know, when the game launched, you need about hundred fifty k, about hundred k, or hundred the two hundred k, two hundred k silver to pay for your premium. You get 30 days of premium for 200k in-game silver. So you can pay with an in-game currency. And it really didn't take that long. You could do it with one day of grinding to basically pay for your month's premium. Unfortunately, the way the, the system is set up is the more people that use silver to buy a premium, it acts as a, as a money sink in the game. It drives up the cost. Now it's up to like 350k. So the cost of buying premium with in-game currency has more than doubled. And the, and the value of the resources you mine has plummeted because so many people are mining these resources and the resources always do have use as well. But the problem is the game is, is so bottable and so like, because if so many people are botting and flooding the resources, you make less silver and the cost of premium goes up. Now it becomes more and more like difficult to get, which, yeah. is, which is unfortunate. And that's a big problem you just mentioned, botting. This mm -hmm. game is the most easily bottable game I have seen in my life. It's more. Wow. I think. I think it's going to be more bottable than RuneScape. I think it's going to be more bottable than than games with pre, with built-in bots. You know, mm -hmm. I think this game. You know, it's going to be so easy to write bots for this game, uh, and that's going to just distort the hell out of the economy. And how how they deal with that, I think, is going to be the make or break for them long term. Like, I they I think they're very happy with the launch. They should be. Um, but where it goes in, like, if it's still big in two three years, it means they kind of solve the botting problem if not they didn't and everything costs like a trillion silver you know i want to give these guys at least a shout out and this maybe proves our theory earlier about companies basically being in bed with gold sellers there's a global chat in albion online right so it's very easy to spam so if, whatever you say the entire server will see and i would i would there's no official player statistics numbers yet but i would say there's over twenty five thousand players on the game Twenty thousand is pretty conservative i'm gonna say 25 30,000, possibly more you know, a lot of people are playing Albion. It got a super successful launch, which you know you'd think based on what we've seen in Revelation Online, in basically every single Korean and more PG launch, a, a crazy amount of spammers, right? No, that's not the case because there are actually mods online in the global chat in the game that will literally right-click ban people if they're caught spamming uh, advertising websites. 
you know, we've seen it was mind blowing how many how many people were spamming gold selling websites in Revelation on, on when the game was basically Founders Pack access only. So anyone in the game had to literally buy a Founders Pack to to, to play Revelation and advertise. People, were, I've seen a few people spamming gold selling websites in Albion. They got banned within five minutes, and almost always the chat is clean. The global chat does not have spam because. They, were, they had the foresight of hiring some, either hiring them or getting volunteer moderators to just sit there and ban them. Like, every time you ban somebody in, in Albion, they have to buy a new game if they want to keep spamming. Every, every spammer has to buy, pay $30 to keep spamming. It's yep. such an obvious fix that it blows my mind that buy-to-play games even had this problem to begin with. Yeah, so I, this is more uh, proof to my theory, my conspiracy theory, that the people at Revelation Online were just kind of working with the gold sellers because obviously... Albion has shown us that it's easy to ban, you know, spammers. It's not that hard, right? So, and, and they've been doing it. So, once again, Revelation. Uh, and spoilers, guys. Revelation has more resources than these guys do because they're owned by my.com. You know, the the publishers my.com. They're a giant Russian internet company. You know, it's like the Google of Russia. So they have tons of resources, but they didn't handle the botting system, the, the the spammers. And we've seen no game, like almost no game, handles. The gold spammers that well, but here, here's Albion. This, this indie—do we call him indie? This crowdfunded game that I just guess. handled it with grace, you know, mm-hmm. basically right from the get-go. Spammers got banned. Boom, done. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's pure incompetence, or they're in bed for the most part. If you see gold spammers, you know, in a buy-to-play game. With a free-to-play game, I understand it's more difficult to police. But a buy-to-play game, every ban equals free thirty dollars for you because they're going to buy the game and spam again. And Guild Wars Two did it as well. Yeah. Right, well, I mean, yeah, this, so sp- handling the spam well, we, we'll see how they handle bots. Uh, botting, I think, has a potential to really destroy. Like, listen, if the if they botting goes unchecked, right, and the cost of silver for premium goes through the roof, I'm going to say Albion is pay to win and unplayable. If if that happens, where the, the cost of premium just goes up so much and they can't fix the botting, the game will be unplayable pay to win unless they give everybody premium. Because I, I really don't think the game is playable without premium. Yep. And I don't think anyone should play this game unless they're able to get premium either through in-game. The benefit now is you can actually farm enough money in-game to get premium, and it works pretty easily. But the moment that option's off the table, Albion's pay to win garbage. I'm saying it right now. I really enjoy the game. I have already 35 hours into it or so. I'm really loving the game. It just, you, you got to be real with yourself. Just because you like a game, you got to call it for what it is. It's pay to win garbage if you can't, you know, if, if the cost gets out of hand, it'll, be, it'll become pay to win garbage. Right now, it's good though. All right, right now it's good. If it costs money, it's garbage. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't have a buy-to-play game with that bullshit system. Yeah, if it's free-to-play, it gets more of a pass, even though it's still garbage then. But a buy-to-play, you can't do it, you know? You can't do it. The thing is, um, the premium features in Albion are so in your face. Like, you see how mm-hmm. behind you are if you don't have it. And in a lot of games, you don't see it, right? So it's more invisible mm-hmm. until late game. Uh, so, yeah, that's, a, that's an issue. But... I think the the pros outweigh the cons. It's definitely worth trying if you're into this kind of sandbox gameplay. The mega server, great idea. Uh, a few games, a lot of games are doing this now. Whether it's uh, you know Elder Scrolls Online, Black Desert Online, uh, Eve Online, uh, Albion. Now, I think I think every MMORPG should have some kind of mega server with channels if they have to. That, that's the way to do it. Uh, you can't you can't just have two K people on a server and then call it like an MMORPG open world. You know. <laughs> I can't emphasize enough how important I think it massively is in an RPG. Otherwise, it's just an online game, you know? I mean, we, we often call, like, you know, 
a lot of games MMOs, even though like a lot of people don't view them as MMOs, but for an MMORPG, if you don't have the player base, it's really like it, it kind of defeats the purpose of being an MMORPG. You know, I, I still value the fact that like honestly, just just when I log into Albion and, and I see like the town's mega packed, I see all these people bustling around, buying, selling, moving shit around, talking in town. It really makes me want to play the game more. If I see it empty and dead because there's like 20 servers, it's garbage. It's not an MMORPG. You kind of lose that, you know, that feeling. And it, it's so important, I think. Yep. All right. Well, to Albion's health, all right? Ah, to Albion's health. I'm enjoying the game so far. If uh, if you guys, if anyone has Albion, add me in game, remote. We can, we can gank some people together. Should be fun. Actually, you know what's fun? Funny? Hmm. They're going to have some competition soon from another Western developed uh, Unity PvP game. And that is uh, Crowfall. You know, Crowfall is actually having a live stream right now um, uh, where they're kind of like, I guess the developers are showing the game. But this is also mm -hmm. Unity. Uh, the graphics are a little more in depth. It's going for that third person, you know, 3D world rather than like the isometric 2D kind of concept. But it's very much going to be a PvP centric uh, MRPG as well. And I guess uh, we, have, we have to see which one does better. Uh, but if for you, Omar, you know you thought you thought Albion was pay to win, right? Wait until mm -hmm. you see what they're charging uh, for Crowfall. So for Albion, you have a thirty dollar, and I think what's fifty and a hundred, right? Yeah. For the founders packs I play right now. Well, if you want to mm -hmm. play uh, Crowfall, uh, the cheapest option is fifty bucks. All right, big uh, price here. For for the bronze plan, you got to pay a hundred dollars. That's just bronze, all right? So the legendary pack in Albion costs as much as a bronze package here. And obviously, it goes up to all the way up to Ruby, one thousand dollars. So you can spend a Ruby. That's the first time I've heard of like a pack called Ruby Pack. Yeah, interesting. Sapphire is five hundred. Amber is two fifty. Hold <laughs> so, on, hold on. Sapphire is five hundred. Yep. What makes Ruby more expensive? Is Ruby, is, is, you know, is Ruby more expensive than Sapphire? I'm pretty sure all those colored gems are pretty <laughs> similar in price. Like, I feel like they pull those numbers straight from their assholes because I, I don't think the pricing makes sense. Yeah, but then yeah. again, you know, the, the pricing really doesn't make sense in a lot of games because, fun fact, guys, uh, gold is actually worth more than platinum. You can buy an ounce of gold for I think about twelve hundred fifty dollars. You can buy an ounce of platinum for about eight hundred thirty dollars. So this is actually a relatively new phenomenon. Pretty funny. It's been going for a few years now, but uh, like throughout like the last hundred years, almost always platinum costs more than gold. So this really screwed up the founders packs for a lot of games because, and, and rankings in a lot of games, you know, platinum is ranked higher than gold. But in reality, for the last few years, gold is actually more valuable, which really screwed up everyone's rankings. Yes, so that's a metallology uh, lesson for you guys. Uh, <laughs> we're living in interesting times, you know. I think actually metallology, metallurgy-wise, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, I think platinum appears like 100 times rarer in the earth than uh, gold as well, mm -hmm. which is why it's pretty crazy that gold is, is more expensive. So... Sell your uh, gold and buy your platinum, boys. That's that's a trick right now. <laughs> Did it, so the most expensive founders pack for for uh, is a thousand bucks. Yes, the ruby package. Yes, but that's not all, boys. Now after you buy your ruby package, you know you still got you guys still got your mother's credit card in your hand, right? So you kind of want to go. Of course, of course. You want to go even further in debt. Or daddy's Amex, you know. I get that that is Amex. So why don't you What's buy yourself a beautiful imperial palace for only seven thousand dollars? All right. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, look, uh, what is it, what does an Imperial Palace get you though? Because I, if it, seven thousand, like I do, I realize like a lot of um, like everyone on Reddit shits on like Arcades or like 
a lot of these Korean games for having like, oh, it's so pay to win, you know, like, <laughs> but you look at games like Shroud of the Avatar and some of the cash shops in like Crowfall, for example, and like, I, I don't know if it's going to be just purely cosmetic or really use, and Star Citizen, right? And like, no, not enough people give these games shit. I feel like oh, yeah. both Shroud of the Avatar and Crowfall really avoid, you know, the, the amount of shitting on that like other Korean games get for being pay to win. But those games really have $7,000 bundles, you know? Yeah, I- and I think it's, I said this before a few weeks ago, but I think it's the most beautiful karma that so many people who were shitting on Korean and Asian games, right, for being like these pay to win games, like cash grabs, cash grab, right? Free to play, yep. but everything costs money in the shop. These are the guys who crowdfunded stuff like this, like Crowfall, Shard of the Avatar, Star Citizen. And, and they were kind of railing against the free to play, going, we want a premium, you know, experience. So we're going to crowdfund Star Citizen, a, a PC gamer game. But, that game's charging you ten grand for a ship. This game's charging you seven grand for a castle. So these are the real cash grabs, you know. It's not the Korean. Don't, don't, don't forget Chronicles of Illyria yeah. and uh, Ash of Creation. Yeah. Those games had multi-thousand-dollar bundles as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the Western crowdfunded games, I, I would argue, are you know, are not any better than the Korean cash grabs either. You know, that maybe they're presented slightly differently, but like anytime you can spend thousands of dollars on a cash shop, you know, it should raise an eyebrow or two. <laughs> so yeah. Uh... A lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Look, look at what uh, Optoider said. The un, the unbundled price of individual items in the 2017 Imperialist Palace bundle is ninety four hundred dollars, guys. It's a, it's such a deal for seven thousand. Quick, guys, let me get my credit card and pay for this. What a deal! Of course, you need I a parcel yeah. too for your uh for your castle. So that's another five grand, you know, for a few parcels. Who are the people that can afford this? Like, I, I'm always who like what do you do for a living to be able to casually drop seven thousand dollars? on a virtual castle in a game that's like that's not at me yet either it's just like i could i could set myself pretty well off and you know i i can't see myself dropping seven grand on a virtual unless you're like literally like 10 million dollars just chilling in the bank then you're comfortable dropping 7k it's just I, I don't know who are these people do you know anyone that spent seven thousand dollars on crowfall anyone in the chat i'm, I'm curious like are they like are their father is there like are their parents like mega 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 rich I'm talking like ten million dollars plus. Well, I mean, I know it Star Citizen. I've read stories of people who are subscribed uh, to Star Citizen for the past couple of years now, in which they they pay monthly, like fifty bucks a month for a game that's not even out yet, and they've been paying it for three years. So it is, uh, it is interesting, boys. So I said, maybe they're, they're doctors. I think doctors make good money. They pay like what two hundred thousand dollars in America. But like after taxes, after you pay a mortgage and all the other bullshit bills, like do you have seven k just drop on this? I, I don't. I think you'd be way richer than a doctor. You'd be like a business owner to be able to get that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, they probably put in a credit card and then just pay fees on it. You know, like I, in fact, I would say the people buying this stuff aren't that rich. It's just it's just like uh, middle and poor people who are, I guess, just just taken in by the by the hype. You don't get rich yeah. dropping seven k on virtual castles. Let me tell you. All right, you don't stay rich, especially. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But then again, there was that there was that guy who uh, who embezzled like two million dollars from his company, and he spent one million dollars of it on Game of War. Right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, this kind of gives a good segue into another uh, interesting news article of the week. Mm-hmm. So the guys behind Shroud of the Avatar, uh, Richard Garrett, Lord British, have partnered with Never Die. And if, for those of you who don't know, Never Die, Mr. Never Die, is uh, a player of Entropia Universe. And he's famous for uh, a club he made in the game, Club Never Die. 
and I think he paid something like 200k for it. Mm-hmm. And then he, but he sold it for a lot more. So he made money on this. So he's a well-known personality in game, as is Lord British, obviously. And together, they're kind of promoting this new, uh, this new ICO, which is an initial coin offering, uh, which is something enabled by Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency that you have to mine with your GPUs. <laughs> so <laughs> this is very complicated stuff. Basically, from what I can gather from the charts in this 20-page PDF, is they want to build some kind of some kind of um, currency that works throughout all games. Okay, so they want they want a single currency, a token you can get, and you can use it in different games. You can earn and use it between games and stuff. Basically, you pay them money now, and then you get shares or tokens in this system scheme they have, uh, and it's supposed to pay you all back in in like X years. Well, well, sounds like a scam to me. You, you give them money, and then you're going to get tokens that are going to be worth lots of money in the future, is the, is the sell. Yes, that's a sell. And the sell is so outlandish. Here's what they're saying. They're saying there's going to be a trillion-dollar virtual goods market okay, by 2022. And that if you fund them, this project, you're going to, you're going to create, help create a billion VR jobs. What? A billion? A billion VR jobs. jobs. Yeah. There are literally seven billion, what, seven, people, 7 billion people on the earth. One yeah. in seven people are going to be working for VR. Yeah. They're going to be doing contracts in virtual worlds to earn tokens or something. And you're going to get a cut of it because you invested early. That's, uh, that's what I could make out of this. All right, guys. This is, this is some heady stuff. As somebody who's followed Bitcoin literally like almost, almost since inception, right? I've mined Bitcoins. I've used Bitcoins. I've sold Bitcoins. Even I don't understand what this guy's trying to sell here. Uh, and it really surprised me that... Um, Richard Garrett, you know, Lord British, kind of got involved with this. Look, maybe they're buying their own Kool Aid, right? Maybe, maybe they really think they can make this happen. So I don't want to say it's a scam, but it's certainly like a pie in the sky, you know, moonshot kind of, uh, kind of event here. And I, I, wow. and I, I don't recommend you invest. <laughs> Stay away, guys. Stay far, far away. Uh, I think Richard Garrett, unfortunately, lent this project a lot of legitimacy, which I don't think it deserves. Mm-hmm. I think some guy uh, who who speculated. On, 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 a, on a club in Entropia Universe, which, by the way, is a pretty scam of a game. A very sketchy game. I, I wrote an article on MMOs.com about it, about how it's on shaky financial footing. You know, the guy who made his name buying a club in a bullshit game, and he flipped the club, and he made some money on it. Like, he has no, like, legitimacy. This, who is this guy? He's just some random dude, you know? Like, and, and and I think he smooth talked his way into Richard Gary and like, bro, trust me, we got we got we got coins here, we got billion VR jobs, we got we got our coins tracking the kills in like a million MMOs. Like, I, I don't think Richard Gary, knew, there's no way he understands this, all right? Because I don't understand this. I th- I, th- I think I caught into this. I, I don't think so. Talk- I think they're just. I think he was just very excited. Okay, like we've seen this before, guys. If you uh, there were a few projects back in the early 2000s of trying to make. Um, a unified currency between games, right? So this is not this is not the first time I've seen this idea. Uh, they're just trying to do it with uh, Bitcoin, or not Bitcoin, Ethereum, which is like Bitcoin. So that's where I think the problem comes in when they're trying to do uh, this fancy stuff. Okay, let's let's take a. Are you are you on that white paper? Can you look at page five and tell me what the fuck is going on there? Page five. And maybe 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 the viewers can help me. Maybe I'm just too dumb to understand. What's going on with a schematic of a smart monster contract? Right? What the <laughs> fuck is this? All right, so here's how this works, apparently. I challenge you to figure this out. I'll drop the link again so you guys can uh, follow along here. So we're going to use the Wolfram, app, Alpha, uh, Wolfram Alpha programming language to 
kill monsters, and then the, in the Ethereum blockchain, it's going to reward you with currency that you can sell to somebody else. I don't know. It gets cross. His loot gets cross-cycled back into the economy. Fifteen percent goes to mob loot, which is gamified blockchain assets, which include coin fragments, item tokens, NDC fragments, developer custom tokens, personal smart contracts, and inventory items. And eighty-five percent gets split between developer royalties. So when I kill a monster, developers get paid. What's yeah. going on? So but how, how are they getting paid? Well, okay. If you go to if you go to chart, um, if you want to see the full picture here, boys. You got to go to page, what page is it? 13, okay? Yeah, let's go to page, let's get the full, maybe you guys enlighten me. I'm just, so, maybe I'm just dumb. Basically, they want this club never, they want to never die ICO to basically power literally all of like gaming and technology. So if you can see here, they, they think they can embed themselves as a connection between like developers, VR, players, um, servers. There's a lot of shit going on with this flowchart. This, this flowchart is flowing everywhere, boys. <laughs> there are lines here. What the fuck? Yeah, what is so... What's going on? <laughs> I don't know, man. This is... And actually, Shroud of the Avatar is the first uh, third-party game to partner with this Never Die for this project. So so this is... the. Now, what, what does this mean for uh, Shroud of the Avatar players? Like, in Shroud of the Avatar, can I earn... These kind of to these tokens now that I can in the future use for a different game. I don't know. This is insane. I also very strongly doubt these VR projections that are going to go from seven billion dollars. If you go to the next slide, that the VR projections, uh, VR is seven billion dollars apparently today, and it's going to be in four years seventy five billion. Well, even that, I don't get it. Like, is this a VR thing? Is this like just a gaming thing? Like, what? What? Like, I think he's just. Throwing all the hype together, like VR is in hype, uh, cryptocurrency is currently in hype. You know, so just just connect them somehow, and uh, you got a you got a project. And if you go to the homepage here, let me link this as well. So here's where it says like, a billion jobs in VR. Watch how a together billion? we can create a new digital frontier for employment. Uh, and uh, here we go. Here are the two boys. Here are the two avatars. Here, John Never Die Jacobs and Lord uh, Richard Lord British Gary. So what's, what's unfortunate and crazy about this is I think he's going to raise a lot of money. And the reason being, uh, it's using something called Ethereum, which is a, uh, another Bitcoin-like uh, cryptocurrency. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of people are investing in what's called these ICOs. And this is some form of ICO where they're trying to sell these digital tokens. And I've seen a lot of bullshit projects raise like millions and millions of dollars because there's a lot of speculation going on that basically anything that looks semi-legitimate gets money thrown at it. So I think uh, this Mr. Never Die is going to make a lot of money off this. I don't think this is going to go anywhere, but the guy who makes this is going to make a lot of money. My personal prediction. Uh, yeah, and look, so far, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency has been going on for a few years. I mean, the main point of it so far has just been speculation, not really mm -hmm. transaction, maybe some gambling. Uh, mm -hmm. So I do, I don't want to completely shit on these guys. No, they, I do. Okay. If you say we have a billion VR jobs, or by, by when? Uh, I think 2022. There's no way in 2022, one-seventh of the world population will be working. In v it's literally impossible. One-seventh <laughs> of the world population doesn't work in like anything. Maybe like, some, maybe like farming, if you count all the substance farmers in the world. But this is, the number is so out there that it's, it's plain stupid. <laughs> you know what like, I love? You can't I, take them seriously. I love this picture of the two um, working together. 
you have uh, this guy with his slicked back hair, a slicked up hair, and then you have Advisor, Lord British, right? And it's a picture of him literally in a space suit in space. Like, <laughs> that's how far, you know, he's on, he's not on the same planet us, as us. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. These guys might be crazy, and this idea might be crazy, right? But at the end of the day, it's, it's crazy people. Like, if one in a thousand crazy people pull off their crazy idea, that, that's that, true. that moves our world forward, right? That moves the world forward. So th- while these guys might not be the cr- right crazy people, I'm glad that there are people like this doing crazy things like this. Because, like I said, one in a thousand would actually work. So good for them. I hope whatever this guy is dreaming happens, but it just seems so pie in the sky that it's hard to take seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Okay, so they raised 12,000 Ethereum today. So how much money is that, Amar? You're my crypto. Uh, I'll tell you right. So they raised it's about two hundred dollars each. So yeah, each each Ethereum coin, I think I think they're called Ether, is worth two hundred bucks right now. That's a lot of money they raised. Hold on, let me tell you. I mean, let's bring up the old uh, old calculator here. They raised twelve thousand. I think they're gonna raise a lot more. Twelve thousand times two hundred. They already raised two point four million dollars, guys. All right, so that's two million dollars in his pocket. Um, and by the way, since this is done with cryptocurrency. There is no chance of a refund, you know, like, oh, it's impossible. Yeah, there's no legal people. People who apply for a refund in like Star Citizen today do get it. Eventually they get their refund. But there is no there is zero refund policy with Ethereum. It's it's one way, baby. (laughs) Uh, I think I think I think they give a referral fee too if you uh, if you get people, if you wrote people in. Oh, I love it. Whenever there's a referral, you know, you got to you got to question what's going on. Hold on. They give you. Oh, my. Listen, listen, listen. If you if you put a if you put a Twitch banner to this not oh my this is this is pretty sketch take a look at this Lincoln take a look Brady. at their um I'm, I'm looking at it in Twitch chat okay look at that they have Ico bounty so if you ref, if you post a video on YouTube right mm-hmm. if you have a million plus subscribers they give you five thousand never die coins five thousand VRG six thousand VRS and six thousand TPT per video okay let's see how much we can get okay we can we can get five hundred never die coins for free if we post uh these, these bullshit videos. If you put on uh, Facebook, you oh, get five. Does this count? The, if we upload this to YouTube, shitting on them, that's that still counts as talking about. Oh, it. Oh, you're right. Yo, yeah, this this podcast is going on YouTube. We're in. I'm boys. gonna demand. We, I'm I'm gonna demand we get paid. Let's see what the the rules are. Oh, you must create at least three videos to qualify. Uh oh. Oh man, unfortunately, we can't get it, guys. So they have a Twitch program too. If you have a million subscribers, so the more people you uh you rope into this, and the more the more you spread this, the more you get paid. Nice. Yeah, so you get paid in tokens, which have no value anyway. He's not paying you in Ether. He's paying you in his tokens. Yeah, so tokens he can, he can print. Yeah, so the way it works, Ethereum allows you to like do these spin-off tokens and and put them on the blockchain on the same chain as Ethereum. I think that's how it works. But but uh, we'll see. So you do get if you give them Ether, you get paid in these never die coins, which supposedly are going to give you dividends later when people use smart co- monster contracts to kill monsters in VR. In 2030, when there's a billion people doing this for you, so that's that, that's the goal. Okay, so look look at the look at their wallet page. Have you seen their wallet page? That's pretty confusing too. Oh my god, what is going on? At the excess wallet. Let's find out. Are they serious? What is? Do you, do you like my avatar? This robot? Yeah, I have the, I have the same one. Why are they like 15 different coins? I, mean, I can't count. There's actually like 18 different coins. Well, each one. Remember, each coin is for each game. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So each game or a virtual world is going to have its own token, and you're going to get paid somehow i don't know <laughs> okay so clearly when somebody kills a monster and if i give them money when you kill an orc i'm gonna get like five bucks right yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. sounds legit bro seems legit 
That's that's a Why problem, the boys. Robot? <laughs> did the Tsunami Robot have a name? I'm pretty sure he did have a name. Forgot his name though. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so someone just mentioned a really interesting thing. Whether this is a scammer side, is this a future you guys would be interested in? And yeah, I think about this kind of stuff all the time. And I think that's why they're uh, finding people to fund it because a lot of people that are into cryptocurrency are really, you know, future, you know, people interested in the future and sci-fi and stuff. So it's uh, it's compelling stuff. And I do think we're going to get to a world where companies and individuals are going to issue their private digital currencies. And then we're going to have on our phones or whatever, or advisors, a wallet with like thousands of different currencies, like Coca-Cola currency, like Google currency, and there's going to be conversion between them at, at a market rate. And I think that's going to be the future. I strongly recommend if you watch this podcast, do not invest in Never Die Coins. Okay, stay away. There's been a lot of, you know, these kinds of ICOs where they try selling these tokens. The tokens are never worth what you pay for them. I don't think there's been a single one of these ICOs where the, where the token value has increased. So it goes right into, the, right into the shitter. Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a fun idea, guys. Uh, you know, you can, if you're not, if you haven't read about, you know, Bitcoins and stuff, it's a, it's a fun little hole to go into but it's like a black hole guys you might get sucked in and just you know go crazy so that, that's that's a risk yeah digital coins are very interesting and i do hope they can make their way into online games and be useful but as is it's just a fun fascination if you're you know plus if you play games I, I feel like most gamers are above average like technological savvy so it might be something worth uh, reading into just just for fun yeah i mean fun fact omar and i we made good money uh off bitcoin so if you guys are smart if you like you know technology you can still you can actually get into it now. Ethereum can be mined at home with uh, AMD GPUs. So if you have mm-hmm. a few AMD and GPUs laying around, you might think about uh, mining, turning into a miner, IRL. Uh, you know, digital miner, My, mm-hmm. mining of the future. And it's pretty funny because of a uh, miner, the GPUs actually end up mining these Ethereum's, and they have value. Almost every AMD GPU is sold out, whether you go to Best Buy or Amazon, they're sold out everywhere. Everyone's buying these GPUs in mass to start getting these d- digital coins. Uh-huh. Pretty pretty fun stuff. All right. All right. I also I- I wanted to say about Albion before we get too far away from it. Uh, after playing Albion too, what's pretty, well, I thought it was pretty, you know, I, I think Albion is going to kill a lot of like the Ultima Line-esque MRPGs, like the hardcore full loop games. Like, I don't think there's room in the market for a game like Legends of Aria, really? Shards Online. Yes, after playing Shards Online, yeah, I, I, they're not the same, right? But they're clearly both inspired by the same, like, kinds of games. And I think because Albion was first to market, it has such an advantage that I don't think there's going to be enough people willing to pay for Legends of Aria. Not, not just Legends of Aria. Uh, Arcfall, for example. Like, this is a game I think is already dead in water. Uh, I did a video for it already. I doubt you've even heard of it, right? No, it's just no. old school... I'm dropping a link in uh, podcast chat. It's a game on. It's on Steam right now, actually, for buy to play, and it's it's this old school Ultima inspired game. If you look at the interface to it, I mean, it, it doesn't it kind of remind you of uh, Albion Online. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It's it's got, the- it's got that look. It's got the same like gameplay style, you know, basically Ultima inspired. And it was ha- it was like it was not even close to finish when I did my video, but the fact that Albion is out now and has such a big player base, people interested, it I think it instantly killed. Literally dozens and dozens of these games that were in development. And even like Shroud the Avatar, for example, I don't think... I, I played Shroud the Avatar. I didn't get too far into it. But I think Albion is going to kill that as well. Any kind of interest in that style of game is going to go towards... Uh, gravitate towards Albion, which is already very big right now. Yeah, and I think even, um, like you said, uh, 
uh, shards online. Um, it's an old video we did for it, but yeah, even this kind of looks similar to. Uh, it looks, you know, it's more a little more detailed, but it basically kind of looks like Albion, right? Um, hopefully, if it, it finds a niche, it's a much nichier game because the thing about uh, Legends of Aria, which used to be shards online, is it's going to allow players to make their own server. So I think it's going to be good for small groups of people that just kind of mm -hmm. want to play with themselves, like a small group that wants to play internally. Um, I just can't see that from the market for all these other games. And I'm honestly kind of blown away how big Albion was, too. Because I always thought, like, the kind of game Albion was, with the full loot, right, wouldn't appeal to so many people. But then when you log in, you see all these people, you know, people that paid money to play, too. It's not a free-to-play game. You'd pay 30 bucks to play. You know, you see 20,000-plus people online. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, this is kind of a side tangent, but I, I, I think a lot of people don't, aren't aware of what exactly, like, Legends of Aria is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about this game, what I, th I thought was cool, is if you buy a copy when it comes out, you can host your own server, right? It, it's internal tools. You can set your own rules. And you can even customize your world. And since the game is built on Unity, they're going to allow... So you can make your own assets on Unity, okay? The active free you know, client you just download on your own, the engine. And you can import your own Unity assets or things you buy in the store on Unity into your Shards Online world. So people are going to have very different worlds, like like a sci-fi one probably, or, or you know whatever. Like people are going to make their own or, or buy assets and customize their world. And every world that that you make, that players make, there's an option to make it publicly listed. So when you launch shards online, you can see these player-created realms and servers and join them. And I think it's so cool because it kind of makes me think of Warcraft three days and stuff, where you have custom maps, almost custom you know custom games. So if there's enough creative people behind shards online i think it can find a niche not as an open world pvp sandbox like uh like albion but as a, as a as a small kind of like neverwinter nights where you'll have people like gms or dms kind of make a world and let other people run through it and actually um that concept i think is really cool but the fact that they changed the name from uh shards online which kind of you know showed there was many different shards in the game right and less focus on just like the world they created like everyone gets their own shard you know, people, it's a tool set to make your own, like, kind of uh, MRPG, kind of make your own game. You can change the rule sets, right? Going to Legend of Aria, it sounded like they're going to de-emphasize that, but they did say they're still doing that. And I think that's really the cool part of Legends of Aria. And we've seen games like uh, like Minecraft, for example. I think people love making their own shit, right? Minecraft has amazing mods. It's got countless surfers. And the, the ability to kind of make your own game within a game I think with MRPGs hasn't been fully explored yet. We've seen yeah. Roblox, for example, too. Like you can oh. do a lot in Roblox, make your own mini games, do all this cool shit, and people like that. Like this whole Minecraft Roblox style of player-created content hasn't been done with MRPGs yet. We've seen um, like Neverwinter try the player-made adventures, which I think was fucking amazing, right? But like it could have been done like not just its own like little zone and area. Like it could have been done more immersively, more like in a larger scale, right? Mm -hmm. The only MRPG we've seen do it was uh, Second Life. And Second Life was unbelievably unintuitive. If you want to see like one of the worst design interfaces in your life, I challenge you today to go download Second Life and try to move around. Just try to like try to like in try to play Second Life and you will find yourself wanting to kill your like strangle yourself. Like, you will you won't last ten minutes. Just like putting on gear and like moving around I, I could not have designed a worse system than that and they did it because they had so many moving parts of like customization and shit and player created content like it had to be stupid complicated but it is really really painful to move around in second life and just equip shit 
And quick, so if, yeah. quick disclosure, if you enjoy choking yourself, there is a Second Life server for that uh, fetish. Yes. They have a fetish for everything. I've, I've said it once. I want to say it again. I found myself looking at random like zones, and I stumbled into a, a weird fetish where people could actually like go on a guillotine, right, where they get their head cut off, and they could fuck. You could bang somebody while they're getting their head chopped off. Apparently, that's a fetish, and Second Life lets you uh, really immerse yourself in that weird-ass fetish. Interesting. Claire says, is it worse than FF14 1.0? Infinitely worse. I challenge you, Kinect. It's free to play. You get the free version. Just walk around, equip shit on your character. And it took me like 20 minutes to like equip anything. It's so dumb. Oh, boy. <laughs> get some good head. And, uh, <laughs> Here you go. To, to go back to PG-13 for a minute. Well, you mentioned Roblox earlier. And I have a challenge mm -hmm. question for the viewers out there. A challenge. What made more money in June 2017? Uh, was it Overwatch or Roblox? And, uh, well, obviously the answer is Roblox. So we got uh, the Super Data stats in for June. Actually, they're only showing May stats right now for me. They, they, I did see June like no, 10 I, minutes ago. You got I, it? You got to click the blog page. You got to click the blog link on the top there. All right, you're good. You got it. So this is June 2017. And for PC, obviously we got League of Legends on the top. Overwatch number 10, and number 9 is Roblox. And I thought that was just amazing. This is the first time I've seen Roblox on the PC top 10 that uh, Super Data puts out. And it has been interesting to watch Roblox grow. Uh, this game, this was this game is older than Minecraft. And just recently, I think with their mobile version is really what took them over the top. They've been they've been killing it. They've been making hand over money, hand over fist. And again, it shows you how powerful that whole uh, player-created content thing really is. And I would, I think the next generation of MMORPGs that really shakes things up is going to be this emphasis on player-created content. And I, I was kind of hoping Arya would you know, experiment with it, and then we'll see how it goes with them. But like, I think that's people, even with Ragnarok Online, like there were so many private stores for Ragnarok Online with like, minor changes, different quest lines. And it'd be cool if those all implemented well into a single game. Rather than having people like make their own private service from scratch and kind of design the game differently, rather if having all those tools built to the game, the server creation tools, that could be amazing. It could just unleash player creativity, and I think that could end up creating something way cooler than whatever the official game really is. Indeed. I'm looking at that mobile list too. Do you see a uh, Dragon Chronicles? Never heard of that. I tried. I tried googling it, but uh, I couldn't find anything on it. But Fake Grand Order is on there as well. Oh wow! Uh, that game launched recently in, in America. You know what's crazy too? This mm. that Crash Bandicoot remake uh, actually is number nine on console right now. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That shows you the power of nostalgia, and I think we've all seen with movies, TV shows, remake games. Like, you know, what's amazing about a lot of these franchises that go on for a long time is even if they stop, right? They can always relaunch a nostalgic re-release, and it's going to sell well. Like Final, Fan you know, Final Fantasy is a good example of that they're re-releasing a lot of their games on Steam on mobile. And people are just buying it again. There's just slight, you know, tweaks to it. Speaking, so, uh, speaking of nostalgia, I'm, I'm excited for a StarCraft remastered coming out next there month. There you go. Nostalgia already, right here. I already pre-ordered it. One of the very few games in my life I've, I've pre-purchased. I'm not optimistic still. I, if the if the game is like Battle.net custom map scene is thriving, I'll probably buy it to play with you. But if not that, I'm, I'm going to avoid it. How much was it anyway? I think it was like $15. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's not expensive. Fifteen bucks isn't bad because I was I was gonna say if it's thirty it's a bit too much, mm -hmm. and like fifteen it might be you know 
You might be able yeah, to do it. 15 bucks. So not too bad. Dragon Chronicles is a Facebook game, apparently. Because I Googled it. I couldn't find anything because it says mobile. But alas, no luck. Now, Honor of Kings is still number one on this list. And I've been playing Honor of Kings still on and off on my own phone. Actually playing on the mobile version. And it's uh, it's pretty fun. I don't think it's out in America just yet. It's still going to be launching, I think, in September. I've been playing the, the Dutch version. If you live in Europe, I think a lot of European countries have the game out already. Not sure why Europe got it first, but I guess they're beta testing it before they release it in America. But it's it's pretty fun. I think it's going to do really well here, too. All right. And uh, speaking of nostalgia, uh, if you liked Burning Crusade for World of Warcraft, the first expansion, you had a bit of uh, a sting to your nostalgia. For some reason, this guy spent four years creating a the, the, so far the most realistic, uh, most accurate, I should say, uh, Burning Crusade server. And within hours of going online, you know, he got shut down. He had thousands of players. It was very nice. It was everyone was so hyped. Mm-hmm. Now my question is, he received a season desist from Blizzard, obviously. But my question is, why was this moron hosting this in America? Like, why did he think he would get away with that? I I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, it's so obvious that they're going to shut you down if you're in yeah. America. I mean, he spent four years of his life on this. It's, a, it's an important part of his life. I, I don't know why he uh, he thought he'd be immune from you know Blizzard's ire. And if I, everyone's telling me he's going to get shut down too, and what do you know, guys? They were right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just weird. Now he says he might release the code, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. If you're going to release the code, you got to just do it and not say anything because then you can you can play dumb. But if he says, I'm thinking about releasing the code, if he actually he releases... He's going to get sued up the ass. Yes. If he releases the code now, he's just going to get sued by Blizzard for like intentionally like you know leaking their shit. And he's going to have a huge judgment on him for like the rest of his life. But if he just leaked it and didn't say anything, he could have been like, I don't know. I guess somebody hacked me. They <laughs> got hacked. Trip, trip. That was the play. Yeah. I, I don't... This guy needs some, uh, some, some legal counsel from shady people on the internet. That's pretty crazy. Uh, don't ask how do you download Honor of Kings in the US? You gotta make a you gotta make an account on App Store. When you make a new make a new account on iOS and you have to set yourself to the Netherlands region while you're creating the account and then you can download it. That's the only way. I don't know about I don't know about Android though. Yeah. yeah that guy's pretty crazy. I'd say just wait for the US release for Honor of Kings. It's it's too much trouble to log out of your phone. We have some we have some mobile news this week. Uh two mobile two mobile games, Gigantic and MXM. And we're still waiting on on uh, what was that? What was that side scrolling next on one? Hyper Universe. Hyper, Hyper Universe. Universe. Yeah. There it is. Uh, it's funny because uh, even though Gigantic launched this week, mm-hmm. like it launched on Steam this week, right? But it's been literally in open beta since December of mm-hmm. twenty. Oh, no, this December, and it gets about five thousand players on Steam, which is pretty incredible. You know, it's doing really well right now. But what's crazy? I doubt the game had even five thousand, even close to five thousand players since it released in December. It was only when it came on Steam that people actually started playing it. That shows you how powerful of a platform Steam is. Have you played it since the Steam launch? Yeah, I, I was on a couple days ago. Is it is it any different, or is it the same thing we no, played like last it year? Just, it's, it feels a little more polished. They did a lot of balance changes and stuff, but I think since the open beta, it really hasn't changed that much. Just a few patches. Mm-hmm. There's no fundamental change. There is a mandatory tutorial now. Oh, which, no. Uh, no, listen, listen. It's one of those games where like, I, I don't like mandatory tutorials, but I also realize that people... Gigantic is a, is a game where if you won't know what the fuck is going on for the first like 10 games. And, like, you will, but like, you won't have a good grasp on exactly where to go and what to do. So having a mandatory tutorial isn't awful. I, I think they should say like, 
If you go to skip it, it's like, we recommend you don't skip it. You click OK. No, we really recommend you don't skip it. You will not know what you're doing. Let's do it. And then let them skip it if they want. They should like add free warnings because I do think you can walk away from the tutorial at least having a grasp on the game. It's not just another like league style MOBA where you know if you play league, you know what's going on in most most MOBAs. So the tutorial is good, but it's I still don't like mandatory tutorials. Hmm. You know what would be fun? Hmm. If tutorials to skip them, you have to answer like a, a multiple choice questionnaire. Ooh, so, that'd be pretty cool. So it's like in in. In like destruction mode, your objective is to a you know like kill the enemy base, b you know like get the most kills, and then that way you can skip it if you know how to play, right? Mm-hmm. And you know you're not just saying I played before, therefore I want to skip it. What about monetizing the tutorial? You pay a dollar to skip it. No, that's stupid. <laughs> no, I don't. Do you think that makes some money if they did a dollar per skip? No, because then then the incentive will be to make the tutorial as long as possible. It's like push W to move forward. Good. Now push us to go backwards. Good. You know, like some games do that. I remember. I think one of the shooters we played. It might have been um, Ghost in the Shell, actually. Where the mm-hmm. tutorial was like, look around with WASD and the mouse. And it's like good. Now go here. Like, I was no, like, oh my god. No, you're right. You're right. I think a lot of like, um, I feel like a lot. Very often, like they almost outsource the, t- the tutorial to somebody else because they always show like the dumbest things in the tutorial. It's like hold W to move forward. Like, seriously, I'm playing an FPS game. Like, do you really have to tell me, like... And, like, after you do it, it's like, okay, hold A to strafe to the left. And it goes after every single one. It could have said use WSAD to move. But no, it's like, do this, pause, do that, pause. And it's very often frustratingly slow. Yeah, and to be clear, Ghost in the Shell doesn't force you uh, to do the tutorial. But there is one, and I the first time I just wanted to see what it was like. And uh, it was obviously not worth it. Uh, tries Mary Gold just says Ghost in the Shell was intended for Japanese players who don't even know how to open a PC. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I mean, they are pretty bad with PCs over there, but it's it's a Korean game though. I'm sure it came out in Japan too though because of the Ghost in the Shell name. Yeah, again, I'm not against tutorials. Uh, even the even the Ghost in the Shell one, which is like simplistic. If it's you know if it's optional and you need it, it's there. You know, my my only point was, you know, don't make it, don't force us to do it. I think we were talking about which MOBA we think would do better. I think it was MXM versus uh, Hyper Universe. Unfortunately, Gigantic was not in that choice because Gigantic is off to a great start. Mostly positive reviews. Like 5,000 plus people on Steam alone. Uh, it's, it's an interesting game. I say you give it a try because it's not just another you know League or Dota, top-down, three lanes, kill enemy base style game. It's, it's a little bit different. Yeah. and yeah. It's, a, it's a lot of action. Like uh, uh, Someone in chat had a good... good uh, Point. He said it looks like Wildstar, the MOBA. Mm-hmm. Right? Our style is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. My only complaint was uh, I did the tutorial. I played a couple of games. It's like you have to really play like ten games before you get a good grasp on like where to be, what to do, and how to like group around. And if you have the patience to go through those ten games, I think you can enjoy the game a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, games, MXM, oh I'm still rooting for MXM. I, I wish we had some player uh, numbers on it. I love when a game launches on Steam just because I can see how many people are playing it, right? We can kind of gauge if it's a dead game or not. When it's on, like, the, the NCSoft launcher or only on, like, the OG Planet launcher or some bullshit or the area launcher, you never know how many people are playing. So that's unfortunate. So I'm curious. I mean, we can't really compare. Because uh, I'm pretty sure Hyper Universe will come out on Steam because a lot of the next time games do end up coming on there. I think it's supposed to still come out this summer. So summer goes into September, as we learned uh, last podcast. Uh, and so far, this is I think this is going to be a really good year for games because we've seen so many games come out that have been in development hell for so long. Gigantic. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know when Gigantic was first announced? Oh, it's been a while now. I have no idea, though. All right, let me let me hook this up. Okay, so this game was announced... God. 
20 in 2010 august 2010 so this game has been in development for like seven years holy crap yeah think about that and it went through this phase of being on windows 10 only and then like then they then they scrapped that because like wait a minute not everyone has windows 10 it's a bad idea yeah and uh, yes the game was close to being canceled they were they were running out of money a perfect world saved the day for them they made an investment in motiga so perfect world uh basically save the day for gigantic and we'll see if it pays off for them or not it's still a bit early uh yeah masters uh sg has a good point we're bashing star citizen for taking it too long but uh gigantic it took seven years and it was obviously a lot less complicated than star citizen when was the kickstarter page for star citizen and just a test for you the original kickstarter i'll say 2013 2012 oh oof. late 20 late 2012 though okay. so it's only been going for five years all right it's only for five years all right so you got you got two more years all right until you pass gigantic in development time there and actually I, we should yeah go ahead oh no i wanted to bring up fortnite because i know another game that was in development forever uh, before that, so let's talk a little about Star Citizen because they actually showed off um, their new 3.0 trailer. Let me go and link that to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that should be coming out in August of, uh, of ne- basically next late next month. Add a bunch of shit to the game. They're making progress, right? Which is always good to hear. But what's, what's pretty odd is that actually, I think in that article, somebody left a comment about... Um, wait for it to load here. Yeah. Look at the comment for that, for that, for that news post. Comment? Okay. People are saying, oh, this guy said, oh, hey, Star Citizen also knows, hey, wasn't that game supposed to come out years ago? No, Star Citizen and Squadron 42 is a much, much bigger and better than was originally planned to be released in 2014. Players wanted bigger and better, hence they kept, they kept making the game. Basically, he's defending the game, saying, oh, it's so good, it's going to be so much bigger than before, right? And I think he ends that by saying, oh, it, it is interesting that the MO game leads the way. Hopefully, big publishers and developers with much more resources take notes. That's where this comment nagged me. You can't say Star Citizen and then, oh, like other big publishers with, with more resources. Cloud Imperium Games has raised a, over $155 million to date for Star Citizen. That's more money on developing a project than practically any other video game in history. The only other games that pass that are like a handful. You have Star Wars, Star Wars The Old Republic, which costs more about $200 million to make. There's maybe like one or two other games. Star Citizen has had more resources than basically any other company has ever thrown into any other game before so you can't just say something like that and say oh you know this is what they did with you know with their resources no they have so many resources you got you have to always present yourself as a scrappy underdog Omar. don't you know this that's true and that's that's i guess that's the perception that a lot of people view star citizen as, as the scrappy underdog mm-hmm. but when you have that much money on one project on just developing it and not running major tv ads because most of the Hold time up. it's mm-hmm. two projects they're promising oh. an mmo and Squadron Forty Two, which is like a campaign single player. Experience. Yeah, two games. But they have they, they have so much money, and then you can't use the resource uh, excuse on that. In my opinion, it makes it makes no sense. No, I mean I agree. I am I am not optimistic on this project. So no no you will, no counter arguments for me on that one. Small but, indie dev with a hundred oh, 155 million Warren, and going up every month still. They're still raising lots of money. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, now enough pessimism about a game never coming out. Let's talk about another game that I thought was never going to come out. I I did one of the first previews I did uh, on the site was for a game called Fortnite, which was by Unreal um, Epic Games. So Omar, you you had a chance to play. It's finally out in early access. What do you think? I think it's pretty fun. Uh, it we were talking at the beginning of the the podcast though about uh, games that make you really basically your heart rush 
or get emotions out of you. And while I didn't have that in Fortnite, it was still fun. Like it was just very polished game. It's 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 a weird mix of genres. It has basically like the sandbox crafting of like Rust or Minecraft meets Orcs Must Die style traps, where basically zombies will fall into traps too, and then like this, this zombie survival FPS element too. Uh, it just it's a really polished game. Uh, it will be free to play when it comes out, but it's unfortunately right now until 2018 you have to buy it. You have to buy it to play. It's like 30 bucks or something. So Founders Packs cost money. Free to play in 2018. Though if you want to play now while the hype is there, you know you're gonna have to pay for it. You know it's funny. Pretty fun though. I haven't mm. played this yet, and just watching your video, right? You put up a few days ago. Mm. The first thing I thought of, of this looks like 3D Albion. Like, like if you, I don't know if you're looking at the video, but it's basically it looks like you're, you know, like you're playing Albion, but you know, 3D. <laughs> no, you know, you're right. Yes, it, it actually really does look like cutting that. the wood. You know, the rocks. You know, mm-hmm. but obviously, since this is made by Epic Games, this is not Unity. This is uh, Unreal Engine. Mm-hmm. So. And it, it runs buttery smooth. That's probably one of the, the strongest points for the game. It just runs really, really smooth. And it's the fact that you can just build literally anywhere is nice too. You know, it's got that sandbox element to it. And the crafting is kind of like almost like Rust. I think Rust, of all the survival games I've played, Rust had like the simplest base building and like the most intuitive base building system. So it was nice to see something like that over here as well. But this is not a sandbox, is it? Like you're in some kind of stage. No. Yeah. No, it's stage-based, which I, which is a bit odd. It's yeah, you go through stages, almost like Warframe. You go through stages. You know, you click a stage and it queues you up with like four people, and everything you get through one stage, you can kind of like take the resources back. All the resources are persistent: your weapons, your ammo, your guns. So that's all persistent with you throughout the stages, mm-hmm. and you can also bring the resources back to like your uh, your 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 hub world, which is basically your own little island hmm. area. You can build a base there that's persistent, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Uh, I'll probably wait till I. Go for the free to wait for the free to play. I'll wait for free to play. Yeah, I can't blame you. It's fun if you can play with friends, like a local co-op game with like four people. It could be really fun. What is the max number per like round or whatever? Like I think four. Four. Okay. Four. So is, it is, mm-hmm. is, it's just pure co-op, right? Not PvP. It's pure co-op, I believe. And there's okay. a lot. It's, it is grindy to unlock all the the talents. There's like persistent progression with talents, and you have to unlock recipes. There's a lot of gotchas too, you know, because you can only craft weapons that you get like recipes for. And you get those through gotchas in the game, which you get like a, at the end of each stage. You can like depending on how well you did, you, you pull a reward from a chest, different tier rewards, and you complete quests. You get like more gotchas. So the various stuff obviously is better, too, which is a bit weird because like if you have a tier one like assault rifle or like a, a pistol in green, it's gonna be worse than a, like a like an epic tier pistol, which is just basically like, almost like the same gun but just more damage. I mean, I I love co op games. This kind of looks to me like a cartoony Left 4 Dead. Yeah. I don't know if that's fair. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and I, but here's the problem with co-op games, guys. A lot of my f- casual friends who I want to, the, the re- I especially like playing co-op with friends who don't normally do competitive gaming, right? Because they're mm-hmm. different audience. But the problem is, I can't get my casual friends to drop like thirty bucks each on a on, you know four times. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So if this was free, I know who I could play this with, like today, right? But then mm-hmm. I, but if, those people are the people who are not going to pay thirty dollars up front. So it's a, it's a bit of a. Uh, I don't know what the term is, but it's a bit of a problem for me. And with the RNG gotchas too, I feel like in a lot of buy to play games, you don't want to have the RNG gotcha. You want to get the shit right away. So you have a uh, you know you have the buy to play with the gotcha. But luckily, again, the game is designed to be free to play. You can tell it was designed to be free to play with the progression. Hmm. It just you gotta wait till twenty eighteen to get the free to play version. All right. Well, uh, I am glad it, it is finally out, though. This is you know, like I said. This is this one's also been. In th- let's, let me look how long this one's been in development hell. 
Oh god, this one's been, Fortnite. I think, longer than another one. I don't think it, I don't know, maybe it just as long? Fortnite, when was Fortnite announced? Okay, Fortnite was first announced on December 10, 2011. Alright. So, this one only took, what, five, or, five, five years or so? Six years. Six years, alright. What's the what is what's the oldest development hell game that actually ended up coming out? Was I think it was probably Duke Nukem three yeah, uh, D or forever, right? That one actually ended up coming out. But is there anything more recent like in the online game space? I mean, besides I these think. two, like gigantic seven and six years respectively. Yeah, that's pretty pretty ridiculous. That's pretty. You know, the fact that these came out, you know, good for them. I I real honestly I didn't think either of these. Uh, well, actually, no, gigantic we played last year, but like I wasn't very optimistic. yeah, it was playable. Yeah, it was playable, but this one. Uh, I really don't know. I thought it was going to stick. You know, it was always in the Unreal Launcher, right? Uh, but you could never actually play it. So I am glad, I am glad they came out. More like, uh, guys, more like uh, PSO2, guys. PSO2 is a game that's been uh, coming soon forever. The English version. Face yeah. Online 2. You know what's funny, though? Like, the, the worst part about the PSO2 uh, ever coming out in English was the website I think is still up for it. Like the English website for yeah, PSO2.com. Free multiplayer online RPG from Sega. It's literally the website is still there and it's uh it's kind of teasing us, you know. We got I gotta enable Flash for this to work. Look at look at the look at what should, yeah, look at this. You get the music uh, too soon guys, too soon. Oh yeah you're right there's some music. And it says uh it says US in the URL too so you know like it's it's they should just take the website down. It's not ha we all know it's not happening. Just yeah. take it down. Don't don't rub it in any further. If you want to play, we got to play on the you know, the, the Japanese one. <laughs> and what's crazy too is actually um, PSO two makes a lot of money. We talked about this I think a while ago because I, I was looking at the the earnings for Sega out of curiosity, and this game is actually one of their uh, like highest grossing games. Like this is on the list of like the games that makes some of the most money for Sega. Out of all everything they have. PSO2 is like boom on top, one of their most highest revenue generating titles. And despite that, it doesn't launch in America, which is crazy. You know, you think their most successful title, they'd, they'd at least try over here. Yeah. Well, there is like an English patch, and there is a whole bunch of English players on the Japanese server. Mm -hmm. So you have options. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I might do a financial look for Sega next if people are interested, because I, I just put out my Nintendo one last week and before that, Square Enix. So Sega might be an interesting one too because they do have some online games as well, like PSO2 we can talk about in the video. So that might be worth checking out. I, I might do one on like uh, some of the Chinese developers too, like the guys that make Ork Kingdom. X-Legend is actually publicly traded as well. So that could be pretty cool too. Well, you guys can look forward to that. And uh, we are we are running out of time here, Omar. So mm -hmm. do you want to say any final words or fare thee well? Uh, final words. I'm enjoying Albion. Hopefully they don't, uh, they can control the botting. Otherwise, the game will be pay to win garbage. Because if not, it's going to totally destroy the economy and uh, premium system. I'm hoping PSO2 still happens. Uh, you know, cross our fingers, pray, give it a prayer every night. Right. But yeah, that that's it for me. All right. Uh, well, thanks for watching, guys. Uh, stick around for the after show if you're on Twitch. If you're on YouTube, check us live if you want to see some pre and post game content. Mm -hmm. and, uh, with that, take it easy. Later, YouTube.